0: Hello, and welcome back to Weekly Political Pep Talks. I'm Leo, and I'm here with my co-host, Vishal. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a special episode in store for you guys. That's right. This week, WPPT got to sit down and talk with Versha Munshi south candidate for the Stanford Board of Education. This means this episode will not have any current events in it this week, and we'll go right into the main topic of this episode, which is an interview with Versha. So, everyone, sit back, relax, and enjoy the special. See you in the interview room. Cue the music So hi, Versha. Before we begin, would you mind introducing yourself to us and our listeners?
1: Sure. Hi, um, I'm Vershawn Wenshee South and I live in Stamford, um, in North Stamford. I've been here with my family for about three years now, and I have two kids, um, a, an eighth grader at TOR and a sixth grader at Schofield. All right. So would you mind telling us about the previous jobs you've held? Sure. Um, so I don't know how far back you want me to go, <laughs> um, but I started, if I, if I tell a story of kind of how I got into education, um, I started working, I always loved being around kids. And so when I was in college, I started working as a teacher's assistant as a part-time job just to make some money. And I found myself spending a lot of time in the schools and maybe less time in my college classes um, because I just love being in the school so much. But also because I saw that, um, unfortunately, kids didn't really have um, the resources that they needed to be successful, I saw really big classes, I saw teachers that were maybe underprepared. And so I really wanted to be there and help kids. And so what I decided to do after college was go to graduate school and get my master's in elementary education. And then I started working as a teacher. So I taught second grade, I taught third grade. Um, Then I became an instructional coach, which is someone who helps teachers get better at teaching. And then I became a school principal. And after doing that for a while, um, I decided that I wanted to have even more impact just beyond my school. And uh, I started working for an education nonprofit called TNTP. And that stands for the New Teacher Project. And I've been working there as a leadership coach. Uh, And what that means is that now I work with school principals and I work with district superintendents. I work with leaders at all levels of schools and districts and help them get better and help them um, make decisions about curriculum and about hiring teachers all the things that go into running schools and districts. Um, so I do that sometimes from home virtually, and I, I also travel sometimes to do that work. And right now, most of my work is with the Providence School District in Rhode Island. And so that's where I travel every couple of weeks. Very interesting. So when you were working as a
0: teacher and a principal and with the nonprofit, what important lessons did you learn, and how do you plan to use those lessons and things that you've learned as a member of the Board of Education? Oh, that's a
1: great question. Um, and it's something that I think about a lot. So I will say that teaching is one of the hardest jobs out there. And I have never forgotten what it's felt like, what it felt like to be a first-year teacher. Um, it's really hard. <laughs> and it's, it, you know, in some ways, going to graduate school and doing student teaching can get you ready to be a teacher, but so much of it you can't learn until you're on the job. And so what that would mean for me as a Board of Ed member is really understanding that teachers need support. And it's not just that they all come to the classroom and have everything they need. They need ongoing professional development. They need resources. And they really need a um, district administration and a board of ed that's going to listen to them because so much of teaching is in a classroom by yourself there are no other adults around and so teachers uniquely know what their needs are what the challenges are and um how how others can support them and so my heart is always in the classroom and and I remember so clearly what that was like Um, So that's one thing I would bring in. Um, Another thing that I've learned from being a principal and from working with leaders is the importance of systems and clear communication. And that doesn't sound as exciting. But um, what I found is that having clear systems is really what helps schools run efficiently, effectively. Kids know what to expect. Teachers know what to expect parents know what to expect and so we want to just always be thinking about do we have the best systems in place to make sure that all kids are getting everything they need and no one is slipping through the cracks. Um, So those are some things that that I think are important Um, and communication is huge Um, so and that's one of the reasons I'm really excited to talk to you both is I you know we need to hear the voice of students We need to hear the voice of parents um, on the board of ed at the district level, because we all know as a parent and as you two as students, no one knows what it's like to go to school during a pandemic if you have never done it before. Um, And most people have not. So, you know, just being able to have an open door and have a vehicle for communicating regularly with students and regularly with parents is, is really important. Very well said,
0: I think. Yeah, all right. So moving on to the next question. So Versha, what inspired you to run for the Board of Education
1: and what changes do you hope to make? Yeah, Um. so as many people have over this time that we've been in the pandemic, I've been able to watch the Board of Ed meetings um, on Zoom and I actually watch, I often watch them with my kids, um, with my sixth and eighth grader and they're really interested in it. And I have been too, because it really just impacts our lives so much. So when at the Board of Ed, they're talking about Do we wear masks or is there a vaccine mandate? Or are we spending money on certain curricular materials or are we passing an equity and diversity policy? All of those things affect us in some ways even more than what's happening at the federal government level, right? What the Board of Ed decides and the policies that they put forth, they have a real impact on our everyday lives as as students and and as parents and as families and community. And so in watching it, you know, I know that the Board of Ed works really, really hard. And I know that Dr. Lucero and everyone at the district also works really hard. But I found that sometimes it seems like they could work smarter, and that doesn't necessarily mean working harder. I I have no doubt that everyone puts in the hours, but I do find that sometimes decisions become very political and polarized in a way that isn't really necessary. And so when I work with school districts and I work with school principals, I don't know who's a Democrat and who's a Republican and who's an independent. That actually doesn't, that never comes up. In, our, in working, right? But on the Board of Ed, I know exactly who's a Republican and who's a Democrat, and it seems to inform oftentimes their decisions and the alliances that they make in a way that I feel is not productive. And so while I am running as a Democrat, and I would say that my values align with the Democratic Party, what's more important to me is being someone who can really work collaboratively with others on the Board of Ed, listen to everyone, make decisions that are grounded in data, and best practices that are used in schools and districts around the country. Oftentimes what I've heard at the Board of Ed is parents calling in or Board of Ed members talking about, well, they're doing this in New Canaan or they're doing this in Darien or they're doing this in Greenwich. Right. And so that is sometimes it feels like our world is really small here in Stanford and we're only looking to those communities as a point of comparison. But those communities that I listed are really different from Stanford in important ways. And there's a reason why my family chose to live in Stanford and not in any of those other places because we really value the diversity and culture that's in Stanford that doesn't necessarily exist in those other places. But that also means that when we want solutions and innovation for Stanford, we should be looking beyond those few communities and really looking broadly at what's working in other places outside of this space. And I think that's where I could really offer a unique perspective because in my work, I work with schools and districts around the country and so i know that there are things that work well with populations like the one we have in stanford that might be pretty different from what we've done historically
0: very well said and before we move on to the next question just going off of what you said there a little bit before would you say bipartisanship is something that's important when it comes to education
1: absolutely absolutely and i think that when we when we when it comes down to it what we want is the best for students we want all of you to graduate high school, you know, have lots of options available to you. Maybe that's college, maybe that's going into career, maybe it's both, maybe you're going to the military, whatever it is, I want everyone in Stanford to graduate knowing that there isn't just one option available to them, that they have lots of options. And maybe like me, you would start off in a certain career, like I did as a classroom teacher, and then I've changed what I've done throughout my career. And I have those options because of different opportunities that I've been given and that I've earned throughout my career. And I want that for kids in Stanford. I think a lot of people want that for kids in Stanford, regardless of their their political party affiliation.
0: Very nice. So, With all of the previous careers that you've had and your experience of teaching and being the principal of a large school, I think it's safe to say that you're very well versed when it comes to education. So, in your opinion, what kind of environment do you think is best for students themselves to learn in, and how do you want to create that environment as a Board of Ed member?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I, I have so many ideas about that, but what I will say is that, you know, most important what I look for when I go and visit us when we are back when we were allowed to go and visit schools when I go into a school. I I can feel right away the energy of the school. And some of that is in how adults are talking to students. It's how students are talking to each other. It's how the hallways sound. It's how the lunchrooms look. There's a culture that is present in effective schools where people are respectful to each other, where you can't tell, you know, what, what classes kids are in or what their home life is like or what neighborhood they live in, that everyone has an equitable opportunity to succeed when they're in the school building and everyone in the school is working in service of that. So that is, that's essential that you know everyone has opportunities to excel and do well. I think the best schools have lots of options that are beyond academics for kids to feel successful. So certainly math and ELA, those core subject areas are so important, but for many kids, especially high school kids, the best part of their day is doing stuff like this, right? Doing stuff like a podcast or theater or sports or many other things. But too often that's just what you do after school. And so your whole day might be sort of dragging yourself from class to class, getting bored in each class. And then you're living for what happens from three o'clock to six o'clock. And I just don't think that should be the case. It's so much time that you all have in school And I think we could do better with being more creative, have deeper learning opportunities, do projects. So it doesn't feel like such a grind during the day and and, and then you feel really free and have so much independence. Um, in your after school. We see when kids are doing things like this podcast or theater yearbook is that kids are taking on basically jobs, jobs that adults have. And that's what high school kids want is to have independence and agency and autonomy. We don't let kids do that during the day. And why not? You clearly show that you're capable of doing it. Um, So that's what I would love to see in schools is just more exciting opportunities that look less like what i experienced in high school because i went to high school a long time ago things should look different now and things should be more engaging and really set you up for the next thing that you want to do yeah
0: and i think that idea of giving high school students more autonomy with their education is like a very good agenda and it'll open them up to like a ton of different career opportunities that they may not even know about yet so i think that's very well said So moving on to the next question, here on the podcast, me and Leo recently released an episode about schools and COVID-19. So as someone who works very close with schools, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic. So our question to you is, how do you think COVID has affected schools and what are your thoughts on masks in schools and the possibility of mandating vaccines?
1: So I think everyone should wear a mask in school. That's the first thing. I do agree with the policy of the district now, which is that my understanding is that if teachers are in the front of the room and they're vaccinated, they don't need to wear a mask. As I said, I remember very clearly what it's like to be a teacher. And I, and even in my work right now, I stand in front of rooms of people and give presentations. It's really hard to do that with a mask on. And so I do agree with everyone should be wearing a mask. And I also think that when teachers need that opportunity to breathe um, and be able to explain more clearly to students what the lesson is then and they're away and it's safe, they can definitely take off their mask and that's what the policy is right now. In terms of a vaccine mandate, I think that there's, we have to get out of the pandemic. And so, you know, I don't know another way to get out of the pandemic other than as many people getting vaccinated as possible. What I would love to see, though, at the district, before we go down a pathway of, let's say, mandating vaccines for all students like they've just decided to do in Los Angeles, is collecting data and knowing what our numbers are. So for example, right now, Stanford Public Schools has no idea how many students 12 and up are vaccinated. I know that because as a parent, my child, my 13-year-old is vaccinated, but I haven't told a school that because there's no, they haven't asked, there's no place to put that information like there is for other vaccines. And so what that means is that Stanford Public Schools doesn't know if 10% of the students are vaccinated or 90% of the students. I don't think it's either of those, but we we just don't know. And when we don't know, we can't make data-driven decisions that would really address what the issue is. I'm pretty confident that most teachers are vaccinated, and I know that because nationwide, at least 90% of teachers are vaccinated. So that's a place where, again, it would be great if we as parents knew for each school what percentage of teachers were vaccinated. That would make me feel safer as a parent, knowing, especially because I have kids at two different middle schools. I, I really don't know what percentage of teachers, and I don't need to know their names, but it would be nice to know what percentage of teachers are vaccinated. Similarly, I think it would be helpful to know what percentage of kids in each school are vaccinated. And once we know that, we can see okay, are there particular schools where maybe we need to do a just make more vaccines available? Are there particular neighborhoods where we should do more vaccine clinics? We can make decisions like that if we have the data. So in the absence of that data, I think it's difficult to make decisions like, okay, everyone needs to get a vaccine right now because in some ways we don't need to maybe, maybe there's some schools, you know, maybe at Stanford High School, 90% of the kids are vaccinated. Okay, we don't have to put a lot of effort into that. So um, that's, that would be my push for the district is like collect the data and then make it publicly available. And then let's form a strategy that's really aligned with the needs of this community. I think that's a very good
0: point that you brought up there. So thank you for talking about that. So moving on to the next question, thanks to Biden's American Rescue Plan that was passed earlier this year, school districts across the country and specifically in Connecticut have received uh, millions of dollars more in funding. So if elected to the Board of Education, how do you plan to use the money from this plan and what do you think that the board's priority should be?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think that my understanding is that they the district had to decide of where a lot of that money is going already, so they've made some decisions on that and I, I want to learn more about how they made those decisions and where that money is going and Is there an effective way back back to this focus on data? How are they tracking if those things are effective? So for example, if they're putting money, if they're putting some of that money into tutoring programs, and that is high dosage tutoring, having um, intensive tutoring for kids who are really struggling in school, that is a research-based known effective way of addressing severe student needs and students who are coming into school underprepared. Great. So let's say we're providing tutoring for 200 kids in Stanford High School and at West Hill. What are the ways that the district is going to know if that's effective? We can't wait until the end of the year to know if that's effective. So what are the touch points along the guideposts along the year to know, well, here's the assessment that we gave. This is how the kids who are receiving this intervention are doing. This is where we want them to be. Okay, now let's come back to that in three months and let's come back to that at the end of the year. So I would want to. make sure the district, and some of that costs money, is having progress monitoring pieces in place to know anything that we're spending money on, how do we know if it's working? What are we gonna do if it's not working? And how do we make sure we're doing that before the end of the school year? Because I think that what we learned in COVID when, if we remember back in March of 2020, school had to shut down really quickly. All of a sudden, everyone had to learn some things really, really fast, right? Teachers had to learn how to teach online. Kids had to learn how to learn online. Um, we did that really quickly. And typically in schools and education, and as a former principal, I can tell you that it's often been like, oh, we wanna make this change. Well, we have to wait till next year to do it. We can't possibly change something in January. We have to wait until next year. And I think that what we learned in COVID is we don't have to wait. People can learn stuff really fast and do it really well. Some of my kids' teachers did an amazing job teaching online and that's something they had literally never done before in their lives. Um, And so I think we need to have a better cadence of monitoring data, responding to data, trying something new, and not being afraid to make those changes once we're in the school year, regardless of what we spend the money on. To me, that's the most important piece, is not just throwing money at solutions and then just revisiting it a year or two years from now to see if it worked, but having things in place to let us know if it's working. And then maybe those are programs that the district will wanna invest money in in the future, even once the federal money is gone.
0: Very, very interesting, Persia. So finally, before we end our questions for this interview, we wanted to ask, since we recently interviewed mayoral candidate, Caroline Simmons on the podcast, we wanted to ask you, have you ever met Caroline? And do you see yourself working with her in the future?
1: Yes. So I actually met Caroline when I met both of you um, at one of Caroline's events. I am supporting her. I have her lawn sign outside and I already sent in my absentee ballot. So we're all set. Um, And I would love to work with her because I do think in in watching the Board of Ed and the city um, over this period of time, I've noticed that there could be a lot more ways that the city and the Board of Ed are collaborating in service of students. I think it's just essential that the Board of Ed and the Mayor's Office are working really closely together to make sure that we are making as much progress on facilities as possible and treating it with the level of urgency that it deserves. And I think that the City and the Board of Ed and the District could work to really rejuvenating how we talk about our schools and and being proud of them.
0: Well, that's it for our questions. Thank you for taking the time to answer Thank our questions. Thank you so much for getting on the podcast today. Okay, Vishal, I don't know about you, but that was quite the interview in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. Thank you so much, Versha, for taking your time to be on our podcast. For our listeners in Stanford, don't forget to vote on November 2nd and check out Versha's campaign at Vershaforboe.org for more info about what she does. That's it for now. Leo, sign us off. Happy listening and stay political. I going never gonna up ready to stand time When they people